to Credo with me, Father Andrew Eban, to the podcast journeying through the various articles of the Creed, the fundamental statement of our Catholic faith. The article this week is, we might say, short and simple. Six short, simple, very challenging words. He suffered death and was buried. This is our topic, Jesus and death. So, just some initial questions. Why is it important that Jesus suffered death? What does death mean to him? And how do we follow Jesus Christ in this most challenging of areas? How do we follow him in death? So, let's begin. One of the words, one of the very many words, I should say, that Christianity has given to the English language is the word passion. Today we probably think of the word passion as denoting powerful emotion or feeling, often connected with love or sex, but that's a modern idea. Well, by modern I mean really an Elizabethan idea, so the late 16th century or perhaps even later than that. But it's not the original meaning. The original meaning was quite different. Originally, the word passion in English referred to, and only referred to, there was no other meaning, to the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, the passion of our Lord, which gives us, for example, passion plays, which describe the last week of our Lord's incarnate life. Because the word passion in English comes from the Latin passio, passionus, which means suffering and specifically the suffering of Jesus Christ. So, in Latin again, Passio Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, the passion or suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, in modern English, we still have a vestige of this sense when we speak, for example, of a patient in a hospital. A patient from Passio is someone who is suffering. Now, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ traditionally begins with the Last Supper and then moves through the agony in the garden to his arrest and trial and crucifixion. However, when you look at the Gospels, it's clear that Jesus is anticipating this last week, this Passion Week, a long time in advance. I guess the clearest example of this is in the Gospel of Mark, which is really divided into two halves. First half, the ministry in Galilee. Second half, the journey to Jerusalem and that last Passion Week. And at the midpoint of the Gospel of Mark, there is this key moment when Jesus tells the disciples who he is. So exactly halfway through, we've had three years of ministry in Galilee. Then Jesus takes the disciples up the mountain of the Transfiguration. And then he says to them, for the first time, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And he said this plainly, said the Gospel. And then, having come clean, as it were, to the disciples, he begins with them the journey to Jerusalem. You can, by the way, see the same thing in the Gospel of Luke at the Transfiguration, this sort of halfway point for the Gospels, where Jesus on the mountain of the Transfiguration is seen and heard talking to Moses and Elijah. And Luke actually tells us what they were talking of 
they were talking of his exodus, exodus, literally his passing, which he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. So his passing, which he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. In fact, he's talking with them about the crucifixion. And as I say at this point, we're only halfway through the Gospels. And I point all this out because it seems to me that it is worth bearing in mind, holding in awareness that Jesus knew a long time ahead that he would have to suffer and die, and that this knowledge must have been the most tremendous burden for him to carry on that long journey from Galilee up to Jerusalem. And so it's that burden, that that weight of the knowledge of his death, which is perhaps most clearly evident in the agony of the garden, that night Jesus spends in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his arrest and crucifixion. Now again, it's worth looking quite closely at the agony in the garden because it really focuses our attention on what death means to Jesus. So firstly, we can point out, and I've often observed this before, that Jesus does not want to die. He really does not want to die, least of all on the cross. He specifically asks the Father in prayer that he might be spared this. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He sweats blood in his agony, as St. Luke tells us. This is actually a recognised medical condition called hematidrosis, uh, where under extraordinary stress, the body actually begins to sweat blood. There is uh, a medical literature these days on this condition, which has been observed not only in the gospel, but also, for example, in the case of condemned prisoners awaiting execution, and indeed uh, during the London Blitz in the Second World War. So it is then an indication of the extraordinary stress under which Christ labours on this night in the garden. And this extraordinary, this monumental stress is the consequence of Christ accepting his impending crucifixion, his death, and specifically accepting the will of God in this. So as Jesus prays, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then again, my Father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Christ's acceptance of death, which reveals his obedience to the Father. This is what St. Paul is getting at when he speaks of Christ becoming obedient unto death. Obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The ultimate act of obedience. Of course, the obedience of Christ in the crucifixion is not compelled And this is probably important to point out. This is not obedience, as you might expect, I don't know, from a dog in obedience to training, or even, let's say, the obedience of a child who agrees to go to bed, but does so with immense unwillingness, dragging his feet and slamming the door as he goes. It's not that kind of obedience. It's a mature obedience which understands fully what is required and freely consents to it. And we might remember here the roots of the word obedience, which comes from audio to listen, to understand. Christ understands what is required and freely consents. And this then ties in with that other way that Jesus commonly describes his death, which is as a gift. 
a gift freely given, Jesus giving his life away for us. In his great sermon on the Eucharist in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Christ giving himself away for us, giving his life away. And you can see that elsewhere in John, for example, where Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the death of Christ on the cross is the ultimate example of his self-giving, his self-donation, if you like. And those words uh, that St. John records Jesus saying, that is, I lay down my life for the sheep, those words clearly made a deep impression on him because he returned to them in his letters. In the first letter of St. John, John writes, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us that Jesus laid down his life for us. The fact that Jesus is willing to die for us shows the extent of his love. This was foundational for early Christians and for us today. St. Paul also, for example, writes about this showing of Christ's love in his letter to the Romans. So St. Paul writes, Christ died for the ungodly. Why one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Christ is a revelation of divine love. Now, there's an awful lot more we can say on this subject, but let's just pause for a moment with what we've got so far. We have the death of Christ revealing his obedience, his self-giving, and his love. And all of these feed into that question I posed at the start of this podcast, which was, how do we follow Christ in his death? St. Paul again writes particularly about the importance of this following of Christ in death in the letter to the Philippians. Paul writes beautifully about the supremacy of Christ in his life, saying, and you may remember this, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing is worth more than knowing Jesus Christ. And that supremacy is revealed in Paul's determination to follow Jesus Christ even into death. So to know Christ, to really know him, says Paul, is ultimately to share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death to share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This too is what we, like Paul, are called to do. We are called to imitate Christ in his death, becoming like him in his death. Which means, just taking those three points I have raised, we are called to be obedient to the will of God, to say daily, your will be done, not mine. We are called to give ourselves away, and we are called to love, to love even to the point of death. And if you ever worry that this is an impossible challenge, just remember that you already started this process, this obedience and self-giving and love on the day of your baptism. Baptism which has always been a mirror of the death of Christ when we die to our former way of life and rise to new life. And when most important of all, 
we receive the sacramental grace, and this is really important because we don't do this all under our own steam, we receive the sacramental grace to rise to new life and to participate in the resurrection. And now that will be the subject of next week's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week, and do join me again next week for that next episode and the next article of the Creed, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ. May God bless you all, and may he specially bless that journey of discovery we make together into the beauties of the Catholic faith. Amen.